the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Midnight at the oasis. Send your camel to bed. Shadows painting our faces. Traces of romance in our heads. Heaven's holding a hand. And I'm on. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. Good morning to the show. How's everybody doing? I'm here. You're there. We're all together. Oh, boy. We are on AM860, The Answer, and we're also on an FM channel. We are The Answer uh, in Tampa Bay area, and you can reach me worldwide on the web at drbillradiomd.com. Click Listen Live, 9 to 10 a.m. every Sunday morning. You can also go to am860theanswer.com and click Listen Live and catch me. And we also archive the shows, and you can find that on both websites. So we're here for you. And uh, interesting week. I'm going to start off with a little medical psychiatric information. I thought you'd have some fun with this. You know, this guy up in uh, Rockland County New that went in and uh, attacked the rabbi in his home during the Hanukkah ceremony they were having, Hanukkah celebration. He uh, is now claiming uh, psychiatric illness and uh, that he's mentally incompetent to to be responsible and stand trial for what he did. Now, his name is Grafton Thomas. He's 37 years old. He's a black fellow, and he was born in a Jewish neighborhood in Crown Heights, New York. <clears throat> he uh, has had psychiatric problems, and apparently his mother uh, is saying that she had called and asked for help previously, and he had been, uh, I guess, had been in conflict with the police after she had called and asked for some help. I'm suspecting that they thought it was a domestic disturbance and went out there with police instead of with psychiatric help. But it's not like you can call and get psychiatric help anyway. It just doesn't grow on trees. You know, there are not uh, neighborhood walk-in clinics where you can go and and, uh, get your kid committed especially if he's an adult kid. And apparently he had good, this guy, uh, Grafton Thomas, he had good relationships with the neighbors in his community and the Jewish neighborhood he grew up in. And he would help them out and perform tasks on the Sabbath because on the Sabbath, uh, if you're an Orthodox Jew, you're not supposed to do anything. You're supposed to rest and just walk to a temple and all that sort of thing. And he was warmly welcomed within his neighborhood. And so growing up, he apparently had no problems. Now, you say, well, does that kind of psychiatric illness hit? Well, if he is schizophrenic, which is what the mother is saying, that he is schizophrenic, and I guess his lawyer is now saying that too, that often does not manifest itself until late adolescence, early adulthood. So it's quite possible that he had good relationships with his neighbors and with the Jewish community that he grew up in, 
and then became uh, psychiatrically ill as an adult, and things changed then. And uh, there's not a lot of evidence so far to say that he is truly uh, anti-Semitic. Uh, the writings that purportedly showed that he was anti-Semitic uh, are being examined and show more silence of disorganization and uh, tangential thought. What's tangential thought? Tangential thought is when you say, well, you know, it looks like it's going to be a sunny day outside, and then all of a sudden you jump to the sun is made of pure energy, and then you jump from pure energy to, gee, I feel like going out and, and working out. And so you can see that little itty-bitty parts of one thought lead to another thought, and that's one of the signs of uh, schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is a disease where it's an inherited disease. Uh, we, we think there's a genetic predisposition. We know that there's some abnormalities in the brain and physical structure. The brain is a little bit different. Prefrontal lobe apparently is involved. And schizophrenia involves uh, several characteristics that we can, we can actually uh, recognize and see. One is auditory hallucinations, hearing voices, not visual hallucinations. Visual hallucinations, despite the, uh, the movie A Beautiful Mind, which displayed schizophrenia as being visual hallucinations, which they're not. Visual halluci hallucinations are more associated with uh, toxic uh, damage to the brain like alcoholism, drugs, uh, trauma. So auditory or hearing voices that are not there telling you to do things, often paranoid uh, uh, voices telling you they're going to get you and that you have to get them before they get you and that sort of thing, and God commanding you to, like Abraham, God told him to kill his son. Um, he probably was a schizophrenic, but controllable apparently because he didn't kill his son. At any rate, so you have auditory hallucinations, uh, anhedonia, which means no love of life. That means that you you're miserable. And uh, I have a sister with this problem with this disease and they're, they, they know that they're sick. They're not like manic depressives who don't realize that they're manic. -y. Uh, they, they really know that they're not well and they're unhappy and they, the life is difficult for them and they don't like it. Uh, so there's anhedonia or no love of life, uh, automatism where they feel like they're being directed by outside sources uh, so they'll say, well, that radio tower over there is beaming messages to my body and making me move this way. Um, and uh, labile affect or flat affect, so not labile, I'm sorry, flat affect, where there's just not an appropriate response to uh, to emotionally charged situations. Like if you go in and you try to butcher a family with a machete and you come out and you act like, well, you know, I was just doing what the voices told me, and you're not upset, and you're, you don't seem to have any real strong reaction. Not that you're indifferent, just that you're incapable of reacting. <clears throat> so you have to think of indifference as being more sociopathic. That is, somebody who doesn't care what effect they have on other people, whereas schizophrenia is more that they're incapable of connecting all the dots. So this guy sounds like he may have some schizophrenia going on. And his lawyer is saying that uh, he is also bipolar. We often attribute uh, exaggerated mood swings to both schizophrenia and uh, manic depression or bipolar disorder. And 
the other thing that we notice about schizophrenics is that they're very disorganized in their thought processes and they're very disorganized in their writings. And a lot of it doesn't make any sense. And so, uh, we have to look at everything that this guy has done in the past and, and conduct also a, a forensic psychiatric interview of him to see if he is uh, capable of understanding his actions, if he was uh, psychotic at the time, or if he remains psychotic, if he was delusional, that is, he was uh, under the uh, belief that he was acting on God's behalf or that he had been given directions from the devil to do this. And uh, so we, we have to look at all these aspects. And the mother said that she called 911 and had asked for mental health workers to respond in the past, but instead the police came and he got no help. And they treated the fellow as a criminal rather than as a psychiatric patient. Well, the problem in part is that it's, it's tough to get psychiatric care for people, especially if they don't want it. Uh, you know, you have to go to court. It's a long process to get people uh, committed long term or to have them declared incompetent. It costs money. Most people can't afford it. It costs several thousand dollars to hire a lawyer and get all this done. Uh, then you're on the docket. You have to wait uh, for your hearing, which may be a year or two, depending on uh, the, the calendar of the judge and how critical the judge uh, considers it to be. And there's a number of uh, different disease processes that uh, are taken into consideration. Manic depression is one, because when people are, when they have the, this, this illness of manic depression or bipolar disorder, bipolar means that they have wild mood swings. Manic depression, uh, when you're manicky, when you're on the high end, you don't know what you're doing. You're, you're out of control and you think you're fine because you feel great because you're on a you know, you're on a, you're on an adrenaline high and you're zipping all over the place and doing all kinds of things. This is another inherited disorder. This is uh, something that we can actually see abnormalities in the brain uh, when we do uh, highly specialized imaging. And we'll find eventually the genetics of this and we'll probably be able to cure it, maybe not in my lifetime, but certainly within the lifetime of my son and my grandchildren. And then there's a uh, Schizophrenia, which we just talked about. Uh, there's also psychotic breaks. Um, some people, when they're under a great deal of stress, uh, go into a fugue-like state where they uh, disconnect from the world and they don't know what's going on and they don't have uh, a real uh, um, connection to reality, that they're, they're not really plugged into the situations at hand and they do things that are... Uh, termed insane or uh, irrational, and uh, there are times when we can't hold them responsible. And we also know that there are people who uh, react very poorly to intense situations like uh, war and battle uh, and end up with post-traumatic stress disorders. But there are people who are demented, that they have uh, brain diseases like early onset Alzheimer's, or PICS disease, and there's a number of uh, dementia-related diseases, small, small vessel disease of the brain, and they lack the ability to uh, think rationally and to understand what's going on around them and to uh, be 
competent to be involved in their own care. And there are several components when we look at somebody and we want to know if they are capable, if they are competent to stand trial, if they have an understanding that what they did was right or wrong, that they understand the process, that they know what a plea is, that they understand what plea they're entering, that they understand the consequences of the legal system. So if you're found guilty of murder, that you're going to go to prison probably for most of your life, if not all of your life. And so we look at several aspects of their personality and their ability to relate to us and express to us whether or not they're, they're capable, they're competent. So their communication skills are important. Can they express a treatment choice? And so you give them choices of treatment. You know, you, you seem to have a problem. Are you willing to take medication? Uh, no. Will you go see and talk to a counselor? Yes. Will you check in with uh, your social worker? No. And have you decided which treatment you want? Will you take these antipsychotic medications, which are big gun medications and have side effects? And I've explained all that to you. Uh, will you take valproic acid, which is for seizures, but we also use it for other uh, nervous system problems and psychiatric problems are basically related to the brain. Those are nerve cells. So uh, those can also be cooled down, not only seizure-related nerve cells, but also nerve cells that deal with emotional swings and uh, lability, labile behavior. And so we offer different things. And have you decided which treatment you want? And so if you're incapable of making a decision or even understanding what that uh, decision involves, then, then we say, well, wait a minute, you may not be able to participate in your own defense uh, reasonably. Understanding is important. Recall information, link casual relationships, process general information and probabilities. So you ask the patient to paraphrase their views of the situation. So if you're in a forensic interview, you say, uh, do you remember going into the house with the machete? Yes. Do you remember attacking these people? Yes. Uh, what did you think uh, was going on? Well, I thought that they were they were coming to get me. I heard them talking, and they said they wanted to kill me because I'm I'm black or I'm Jewish or I'm I'm a man or I'm a woman. Well, wait a minute, that's not what the other eight people in the house reported. So their paraphrasing of the situation doesn't fit the reality. And then you ask them, well, what do you think of the current uh, situation that you're in? And uh, do you think that anything will happen to you? Are there consequences to your actions? Well, no, I was acting on, on God's words. Why should anybody doubt God's word? Can you remember? How's your attention span? It's important to know because we want to know if somebody is not only mentally ill, but if they're mentally retarded, if they're not mentally capable, uh, intellectually capable of understanding what's going on around them. If they have an IQ of 50 or 60, they may not really be aware of what uh, all is involved and what the of society are and what's right and wrong. So we need to know, how's your memory? How's your intelligence? We can give you an, an intellectual test, an intelligence test. Can you appreciate what you did and identify that you have a problem? 
Does that mean that all schizophrenics are, are going to be criminals? No, it's rare for schizophrenics to be criminals. Generally, they're they're not violent people. They just want to be uh, left alone if they're not being treated. And uh, they, they kind of live in their own world disconnected when they're psychotic from the rest of society and from you and me. So do you know that you're sick? Do you know you have a problem? Do you understand what we're telling you you have? Do you know what it means to be schizophrenic or to be psychotic? Uh, do you know what it means to have manic depression? And if you ask a manic depressive who's manic, if you do, you, do you think you're manic depressive? No, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. And I've had families bring in uh, patients to the clinic and say, you know, we, we got to get him back to Canada or we got to get him into a mental health facility because this guy is he's manic and he doesn't know what he's doing and he's got the credit cards and he's out spending money and he's downtown out on the street late at night. He's going to get hurt or killed. And so we have to get him into a psychiatric unit for evaluation and treatment. And there is good treatment for manic depressive illness now. And so you have to ask these people, do you, do you know what's wrong with you? Can you appreciate what, what it is we're saying you have and whether or not you, uh, uh, can help us and participate with us in taking care of you. Well, if there's a lot of denial or delusional thinking, you know, if you think that uh, this isn't right, that you're just trying to take advantage of me and hurt me and you're out to get me and, you know, that kind of delusional paranoid thinking, then, you know, you're going to have a hard time getting anybody to participate in their own care. And they're certainly not going to be able to participate in their trial. They're not going to be able to interact with their lawyer appropriately or meaningfully. And is there rationalization? Do they have the capacity to weigh the risk and benefits uh, that come with their conduct and the conclusion in keeping with, uh, with what the goals are that you have for the patient or the, uh, or the forensic uh, interviewer, interviewee, rather, and what the outcome will be uh, for this person, do they understand? Can they rationalize that? Look, if you enter uh, a plea of I am insane and I, I didn't know what I was doing, I'm not responsible. Do you understand that you'll be put into a psychiatric hospital for X number of years and that you'll have to take medication? And if you don't, you'll be recommitted to the hospital. So what are the, the risks and what are the benefits? The same thing that you would do when you're talking to your doctor and he says, you need this surgery. Well, what are the risks? What are the benefits? What are the alternatives? It's the same way in, in a psychiatric situation, especially if you're dealing with somebody who's going to trial and who is uh, mounting uh, an insanity uh, defense or plea. So you have to, and you have to decide whether they're too depressed to make decisions, whether they're psychotic, whether they have a thought disorder, whether they uh, are delirious or demented, and there's a big difference between delirium. Delirium is uh, generally a temporary state. We see this when people are going through alcohol withdrawal or when they're very high on drugs. Some drugs will make you delirious. And dementia is an organic process in the brain where you start to lose the ability to function at multiple levels, including intellectual capacity, memory, uh, uh, judgment, all kinds of aspects of our behavior are affected by dementia, whereas delirium may not affect our motor function. It may only affect our, 
our intellectual functions and our ability to be rational for a short period of time. So we've got a lot of problems that go along with this. And the forensic psychiatrists and psychologists who do these interviews have to stop and uh, be well-trained in order to appropriately and adequately help the courts decide whether or not somebody is competent to stand trial. Now, there's a hierarchy of psychological defense mechanisms that we use as human beings. And uh, this is one thing my friend Al has a hard time understanding is the emotional aspects of human nature and what humans do to protect themselves because we are not all that logical. You know, a lot of times we're acting on emotion. And we believe that uh, or feel that we are doing something that is right or wrong. And there's no intellectual basis for it. It's more an emotional situation where we have uh, come to this point because of our upbringing or our background or our religious beliefs or our political beliefs. And so we have a number of defense mechanisms that we use and the pathologic defense mechanisms that we use psychologically uh, include delusional projections and delusions about external reality. Usually we feel like we're being persecuted and we think that other people are out to get us and then we act on these perceptions and this is what, what uh, schizophrenia involves. Denial of external reality. This is another pathologic or uh, sick uh, defense mechanism we use psychologically that we don't believe that that's the reality of the situation, even though it's right there in our face. Or we can distort things, reshape external reality to accommodate what our emotions are telling us is going on. So we we look at a situation and uh, we see a car crash and we see terrible things happen and people are killed and we reshape that reality to be uh, a movie about something that is not as bad or as violent or as uh, horrendous and we turn it into something that we can emotionally tolerate because we don't have those abilities because of our mental illness to tolerate that kind of psychological trauma to see somebody we know or love be killed that it can't be true, that the, oh, they just went outside for a walk. They'll be back in a minute. And one can even build a whole fantasy world and a whole saga around that. Then there's uh, immature behavior, like projection, attributing one's own feelings to, to others. And we see the uh, Democrats doing this all the time. They attribute their feelings to us, to those of us who are conservative, and say, well, they hate us. Well, we don't hate the, the liberals. We just don't want to deal with their politics. Uh, we care about them. We hope that they're well. We wish them a nice day. And, uh, you know, please let us do what we need to do to defend ourselves and our country. So projection is when you attribute your feelings to another person. And my wife does this to me all the time. She's mad at me, so she says, you hate me. You're mad at me. Well, no, you're mad at me, honey bunny. We had a, a little tiff out in the front yard last week. Well, she had a tiff and she's yelling at me because I'm standing in the way of her new car and bumping it. And 
she comes out and the neighbor's standing there and she throws this big hissy fit and is yelling and screaming at me. God love her. She's so cute. And uh, then the next or that night or the next day, she said, Oh, I saw Barbara outside. And she looked at me like we had done something terrible because of that scene that we made. I said, honey, bunny, we didn't make that scene. You made that scene, (laughs) but that's projection is projecting what you feel and what you think, uh, onto someone else and saying that they have those feelings about you or they were involved in that with you. Then there's what we call schizoid fantasies, and that's a tendency to use fantasy to resolve conflicts. And, and you can uh, do this by staying within yourself and avoiding interpersonal relationships. So you fantasize, you live in a world of fantasy. And you resolve your internal conflicts, your emotional conflicts, by staying within yourself and making up all of these different situations. And that's what little kids do. And if we don't grow out of that, or if we have some predisposition to that, which may or may not exist genetically, then we can grow up and have a schizoid personality disorder. There's hypochondriasis, which is transformation of reproach or aggressive impulses towards others into complaints of being sick. So uh, we can't cope with other people. We can't cope with the conflicts, the emotional conflicts of life or our own aggressive impulses. So we, we become sick. We feel like we've got something wrong with this, that we're having stomach problems or we're pain. And we have to be careful with this psychiatric diagnosis because you can be crazy and be sick too. So you can have a mental illness or an emotional problem, and still have heart attacks, strokes, uh, twisted bowels, uh, acute appendicitis, all these things can still happen. So when a hypochondriac comes in, somebody that you have in your practice, who you've known for a long time, who has multiple somatic, that is bodily complaints all the time, and they come in, they've got a complaint, which sounds similar to other complaints, uh, you can't just ascribe it to their psychiatric or emotional problems. You have to examine them every time. Now, if it's a single problem that is recurrent and is very specific, uh, then you do the complete workup that you are capable of doing at this time in in medical history, and you say to them, to the best of my knowledge, I cannot find anything wrong with you. Does that mean there's nothing wrong with you? No, it means that I can't find anything, so why don't we treat the emotional aspects of it and see if that helps? Then there's passive-aggressive disorders. So you indirectly express your aggressive behavior towards others through uh, passivity. So you you become uh, a wallflower and you become an object of abuse. And then every once in a while you flare up and, and blow up. But uh, that's that's uh, another way of, of dealing immaturely and unhealthily with, with emotional uh, conflict. And there's acting out. So you directly express your unconscious impulses or wishes to others to avoid your own feelings. So you, you become a problem child in the classroom. And this is what acting out is. is these are the behavioral disorders in classrooms. Then as you get older, you can more intellectualize your emotional conflicts and how to resolve them. And these are called neurotic expressions like intellectualization, thinking about instinctual wishes and, uh, paying attention to irrelevant details to avoid expressions of your inner feelings. So you become a savant. You can become this really bright guy who 
kind of talks about feelings as if they were third party and separate, separate. And uh, you would blend your thinking and your wishes together and you don't really deal with your inner feelings and emotions. You, you talk about them in a clinical sort of way. Then there's repression where you just unconsciously put everything in the back of your brain and you, you don't want to think about or have to deal with it at all. So you just don't. There's displacement, which is redirecting your feelings towards somebody you don't care for or a situation uh, that you're not happy with, and uh, you put it on them. And so you you become upset with somebody you don't like, and you start bad-mouthing them and putting them down and talking about them behind their back. And you can also dissociate, which is uh, something that was not uncommon in Times past, uh, women did this when there was uh, sexual abuse, and this is a temporary disorder. It's a drastic modification of, of personality to avoid emotional uh, uh, distress, and it's where you just basically take yourself emotionally out of your body. This seems to happen more with abuse situations. Then as we mature and become uh, adults, we learn to deal with our emotions in a healthy way, like altruism. Uh, like helping others by being of service, humor, uh, expressing feelings of, uh, of uh, joy and, and uh, telling jokes and being happy and uh, suppressing our, our conscious attention from conflicts. And this is something that a lot of people have a hard time doing, especially you see this on the left. They, they have to get involved in every little conflict and uh, make a major crisis out of it. So we, we have this guy Suleimani assassinated, and now there's a big outpouring of anti-war sentiment. Uh, people who are incapable of suppressing their discomfort about uh, a violent situation and instead uh, are going right at it and saying that this is war and this is super dangerous. Of course, it's not, you know. The Iranians are not going to go to war with us. I mean, it would be stupid of them, and they know that, and we know that. Uh, so suppression is a way of dealing with things healthily, of saying, you know, I'm just going to ignore that. I mean, what difference does it make if Suleimani's dead or alive to me personally? How's that going to affect my day-to-day -day life? It's not. It's not. And then there's anticipation you can look forward to and plan for in a positive way the future. And then you can sublimate your emotions and you can redirect your impulses and your, your uh, negative feelings towards more positive and appropriate activities. So, you know, you're feeling like you're, you're worthless and you're not having uh, much fun in life today. So you go out and you get a project. Uh, you go buy a, a, a kit and build a car. You uh, wire your house. You clean up the garage. You do something positive. You sublimate those emotions and you turn that into a positive event. Well, those are some of the defense mechanisms that we use. And so we can see if we have somebody who is not mentally capable of, of, of standing trial or understanding what's going on, that they're at a pathological level. And, and, and we have to consider that when we look at a guy like uh, this fellow that attacked the Jewish family on Hanukkah up in New York. Well, I'm going to grab a cup of Joe and I'll be right back. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. <clears throat>
With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. Officials in Pennsylvania say five people have been killed, dozens more hospitalized in a crash on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. A spokesman tells the AP that the Westmoreland County Coroner has confirmed the deaths in the early Sunday crash and says 60 people are hospitalized with injuries too. A tweet from the spokesman says the crash involved a passenger bus, two tractor trailers, and passenger vehicles. The crash has closed the turnpike for an 86-mile stretch. President Trump issuing a warning to Iran threatening to hit dozens of targets in the Islamic Republic, quote, very fast and very hard if it retaliates for the killing of the head of Iran's elite Quds Force. The series of tweets came last night as the White House sent to Congress a formal notification under the War Powers Act of the drone strike that killed General Qasim Soleimani. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full-service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Hello, this is Dr. Bill Handelman for our good friends at Tampa Bay Imaging. TBI provides state-of-the-art MRI and CT scanning with the lowest radiation possible. Most insurance plans accepted and self-pay rates are very competitive. TBI is conveniently located in Tampa and St. Pete with evening and weekend appointments. So call TBI today or ask your doctor. In Tampa, call 813-386-3674. St. Pete, call 727-545-9674. There's an incredible free bottle offer today on Purity's amazing new green tea CR super formula. Here's the deal. Call Purity products right now. Be one of the first thousand callers today. Just pay $4.95 for shipping, which is 100% refundable. Purity's going to rush you out a complimentary bottle of green tea CR formula for you to put to the test. You try it. You be the judge. It's that simple. Green Tea CR delivers a potent combination of green tea plus patented BCM95 curcumin and resveratrol in one easy-to-take liquid soft gel. Do it for your energy levels, your focus, mental clarity, your cardiovascular health to support healthy dieting, immune defense, joint comfort, and so much more. To claim your complimentary bottle, call now, one 800 499-7505. Purity knows that once you experience the benefits of green TCR, you're not going to want to miss a day of taking it. That's why they're willing to send you a free bottle today. So call right now. Operators are standing by. Dial 1-800-499-7505. Listen to us wherever and whenever by downloading our mobile app, streaming at our website, or on Alexa. Tune in, iHeart, and at radio.com. Recovery is real. We believe in you. Every day, millions of people celebrate recovery from addiction and mental illness while others begin their journey. Join the Voices for Recovery. Together, we are stronger. For confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders, call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast. High surf advisory in effect until 1 p.m. High rip current risk in effect through this evening. Full day of sunshine today with a high 63 Tonight will be clear, low 43. Full day of sunshine again tomorrow. Monday's high getting up to 67, and a night mainly clear with a low tomorrow night of 48. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Kevin Snyder for AM860, The Answer. 
And I'm back. This is Dr. Bill. We've got a little bit of Maria Mulder in Midnight at the Oasis, and uh, she's having her shake put his camel to bed so she can make sweet love to him in the moonlight out in the desert there. And then we got another desert situation that popped up, Qasem Soleimani. He is the Iranian high-ranking general that we uh, assassinated along with some of his uh, lieutenants in Iraq near the Baghdad airport blew up the car that he was traveling in. And, uh, oh my gosh, our intelligence has gotten so much better over the past two decades since 9-11. It's hard to believe how, how much we do have and do know. And of course we don't know where it's all coming from. We don't know if we're getting information or you and I don't, the people in charge do, whether we're getting information from the Turks or from the Israelis or from the French or from everybody or nobody. But uh, it's just amazing how how uh, precise it's gotten that, that they could just hit this one car full of these high-ranking Iranian officials and uh, Shia militia people. Now, who is this guy? Well, he was born in 1957 in Iran, whatever you want to call it. And he uh, joined the Islamic Revolutionary Guard uh, in the 19, late 1970s, early 1980s. And as you recall, when the Ayatollah Khomeini was released from prison in Paris and uh, Jimmy Carter said, oh, you know, we're, we're not going to back the Shah anymore. We're not going to go with him. The, uh, the Ayatollah went back to Iran and read the fundamentalistic uh, Islamic revolution, basically a fascist regime that he set up. And they set up the uh, the republic, the Iranian republic, and his his staunch military backers were the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, which was predominantly uh, ultra militaristic, ultra religious young guys uh, who believed in what the Ayatollah was saying and also wanted to seize power. They had had enough of uh, the Shah because the Shah was forcing them to modernize, and as well he was purportedly extremely corrupt. Of course, we know that these guys are just as corrupt. But uh, nevertheless, the idiot Carter backed away from the Shah, which destabilized the region. And we had the Iran-Iraq war. And Soleimani made his initial bones in the 1980s as a commander in the 41st Division in the Iran-Iraq war. He was leading Iranian troops that he actually had, uh, much like our civil war, where he had recruited and trained his troops. And uh, then he went on to provide military assistance to Hezbollah, one of the terrorist organizations in Lebanon, who had been attacking Israel and uh, stirring up and fomenting trouble. Now, the Syrians and the uh, Iranians have been close because the leaders of Syria are... uh, Shias, they're not Sunni Muslims, they're the smaller sect that the Iranians are. And there's a large population of Shia Muslims in Iraq as well, as we see from all the protests that are going on. And the protest against the uh, American presence and the killing of the uh, General Soleimani is being carried out by Shia militia. So we targeted this guy. And on January 3rd in Baghdad, he was killed by a drone strike, along with some of his uh, 
associate commanders. And by all accounts, this guy has been responsible for killing thousands of people, hundreds of Americans. Uh, the sophistication of some of the in, in, improvised explosive devices and roadside bombs that have been used in the region, both in Iraq and in Afghanistan, are straight out of the Iranian uh, uh military-industrial complex, and purportedly Soleimani was intimately involved with all of this. So he's a killer of Americans. And he has uh, a long history uh, from the 1980s of being involved, and he's worked his way up in, in, in the ranks. And uh, he helped fight against Saddam Hussein. And remember that the the Iranians are surrounded by Afghanistan, Iraq, Turkey, uh, Russia, or the old Russian provinces. And the military in Iran has also fought against drug, drug trafficking in their neighborhood. And I guess Soleimani was involved in this, and he gained some uh, positive notoriety within Iran because of his uh, war on drugs. And the student revolt in Tehran in 1999, Soleimani was one of the people who uh, signed a letter to the president, Mohammed Khatami, and the letter stated that if Khatami did not crush the student rebellion, the military would, and it might also launch a coup against Khatami. So he put down the student rebellion rebellion violently. He's killed his own people as well as killing thousands of people outside of uh, Iran in the Middle East, and uh, that includes Americans. And he has been uh, accused of uh, having people who were opposed to the regime and opposed to him assassinated or imprisoned illegally. Now, George Bush named him as uh, an international terrorist, and uh, he has been condemned by the United Nations. And the uh, good thing, though, is that the Shias have fought ISIS and ISIL because those are militant Sunnis who want to kill all Shias. So that was one good thing. And he has been involved intimately not only in Syria and in Lebanon, but also in Iraq and in uh, the Israel-Hezbollah war. Uh, he's been involved in that. Um, he had been involved in uh, a number of actions, and he's also <clears throat> been known to flex his military muscle against the regime in Iran. And so this is not a one-sided situation where the Ayatollahs are completely in control, although they have the ultimate veto power. They're the chief executive officer, so to speak. And so he's also believed to have been uh, highly influential in organizing the Iraqi government after the, uh, after the fall of Saddam Hussein. And Iraqi Prime Minister Nuri al-Maliki has had support from, or had support from Soleimani. So he's been intimately involved in all these conflicts, and uh, he's seen reading the Koran at memorial services. 
uh, for Rasvin Johnny, one of the leaders in Iran who died a few years ago. Uh, he is reportedly or was reportedly a very uh, mild-mannered fellow, never raised his voice, nice-looking guy, uh, if I do say so. Uh, a lot of charisma, very charismatic. And all of these things uh, portend uh, both ill and well, depending on what you choose to do with it. So this guy chose to fight anybody who didn't believe in what he believed in and didn't see things his way. And he uh, has had his hands in so many, uh, what we would consider terrorist operations. He also went to Russia and enlisted Russian support in the Syrian civil war and helped Iran form a more close alliance with Russia. And by the way, we're constantly bumping heads with the Russians. So we've got a guy who is, in our opinion, a terrorist, a war criminal, a mass murderer, uh, who backs uh, a theocratic fascist regime, who has uh, cozied up with the Russians, who have been a, a traditional uh, foe, I, should, I shouldn't say a foe, but uh, at least an adversary of the United States. And when Pompeo, Mike Pompeo, our Secretary of State, was uh, chief of the CIA, he had sent Soleimani and other Iranian letters, leaders a letter holding them responsible for any attacks on U.S. interests by forces under their control. And so they had been put on notice by us, by Mike Pompeo. And Soleimani ignored the letter when it was handed over to him uh, during an offensive against ISIL, saying, I will not take your letter nor read it, and I have nothing to say to these. These people are you and me. They're us. So this guy uh, thinks that he is above us all. Whoops, that didn't work out too well, did it? And that... He has a free hand to do whatever he thinks is right or wrong. And the left will say, well, isn't that what we're doing? Didn't we decide what's right and wrong and kill him without reason? Uh, you know, I keep going back to this over and over and over. Self-preservation is the first law. If you don't get that one down, the rest of them are irrelevant. Well, why are we in the Middle East? Well, we're in the Middle East because Jimmy Carter, the idiot, destroyed our foreign policy in that area and open the area up to radical fundamentalistic Islam and uh, inter-secular warfare between the Shias and the Sunnis, and also between uh, Sunni sub-factions. And as I talked about uh, last week or two weeks ago, I can't remember, that the religion of peace, uh, most of the world conflicts now are in countries that are Muslim. So the religion of peace is not really the religion of peace. And this is, let's face it, this is theocratic fascism. You know, Hitler was basically agnostic or, um, you know, an atheist. Uh, these guys think that God is on their side and that they represent God directly on earth. They say, well, how do you know what God wants? Well, I mean, you know, come on, who knows what God wants? We're, we're not... Uh, we're not uh, uh, privy to that, and we don't even know if there is a God, but 
let's say there is a God and you believe that New Testament says is is correct and that what the church has laid down over the over the past 2,000 years is correct in, in terms of moral and ethical Christian behavior. And by the way, that's changed. So I guess, does that mean God changes his mind? I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, killing a, a, a Muslim in the 11th century in the name of, of Jesus was okay because you were defending Christianity and you were defending Christians' rights to uh, go to the Holy Land and visit the sites. And that's what the Crusades were about. But now in the 21st century, killing a Muslim in the name of Jesus is not all right. So now you, you get a, a, instead of getting indulgences, so you can get in heaven quicker, now you get black marks, so you go to hell quicker. So we don't kill Muslims because that's what Jesus wants. We kill to defend ourselves and to uh, protect our interests and our friends around the world. That's why we fight. So in politics, the uh, Soleimani faction has put down domestic uh, student protest and Iranian uh, uprisings against the the regimes and against the uh, fundamentalistic uh, actions and the military actions of these guys. And of course, if you're if you're a military guy, you're going to want to see your your business grow. And so if you have someone who's saying in, within Iran, if you have students saying, what, what are we spending all this money going to war in Syria and, and Lebanon and, and fighting the Israelis and the Americans in Iraq? Why don't we take care of our own people at home? Well, you're going to say, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, I want to continue this because this is what I do and this is what I believe in. This is my business. I am a soldier and I'm going to continue to wage war against those who I see as my enemies. And by the way, this guy rarely dressed in military garb. Uh, Soleimani dressed in civilian garb most of the time, even on the battlefield. He's described, uh, he was described as having a calm presence and carrying himself inconspicuously and rarely raising his voice, uh, understated charisma, all kinds of, you know, laudatory praises of him. And it said that he was, if he was not present in Iraq, that the Iraqis would not have been able to uh, uh, form their cabinet under Abadi, the leader there now. And in March 2007, he was included, Soleimani was included on a list of Iranian individuals targeted with sanctions in United Nations Security Council Resolution 1747. He was sanctioned by the United States along with Syrian President Bashar al-Assad and other senior Syrian officials because of their support to the Syrian government and the atrocities that were being committed by the Syrian government against the rebels in Syria, including uh, biological and chemical warfare. I'm sorry, chemical warfare. I don't know about the biological and the European Union has condemned this guy. He's a known terrorist and has been for two decades. Why is the left defending this guy? What is the, what is the point here? I mean, not only has the left, not only did uh, the, the 
Bush administration cite him as a terrorist, but also the Obama administration. Not that they did anything about it, but at least they uh, paid some lift service to the fact that this is a bad guy. And now we've killed him, and the left is all up in arms. And it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that they would place the life of uh, a mass murderer over the health and welfare of our own troops and our own people and our own civilian contractors in Iraq, in the Middle East, over that of the life of a mass murderer and a terrorist. It, it just, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. And all this stuff about, oh, this is a declaration of war, and Joe Biden saying, well, this is actually, we're, we're back in it, and he's just throwing... Uh, you know, he's just throwing a stick of dynamite Trump into a tinderbox. I wonder if Biden knows what a tinderbox is. Um, I doubt he's ever seen a stick of dynamite either. So it's interesting to hear these people talk and use all of these uh, these metaphors, and they probably have no idea of what they mean or, or have any idea of what they look like. But they're using them, and they're making a big deal out of this. So the funeral procession on January 4th yesterday was held in Baghdad with thousands of mourners in the streets in attendance waving Iraqi and militia flags and chanting death to America, death to Israel. I'm not sure what the Israelis had to do with this, but <clears throat> hey, get them all while you're there. And you know, this is, this is just so silly uh, that we would think that it's meaningful and significant that uh, that we give a voice to these people who are chanting death to us. Why do we want to do that? Why do we want to say that they're, they're human beings too and that they deserve the same treatment that our troops deserve? Oh, by the way, the, uh, the uh, head of Iraq paid a visit to Soleimani's house to express condolences to the family. What's that tell you? You know, we cannot leave the Middle East. I'm sorry. I mean, I disagree with the president on this. We, we have got to stay there or it's just going to blow up. And there is no other nation that is willing to take on this responsibility and protect the world from this fascist uh, theocracy that is being fomented uh, both by militant Sunnis and militant Shias throughout the Middle East and, and Central Asia. From what I can see, the only other country that's standing up to it is China, and they're being criticized harshly for their uh, corralling of uh, the Muslims who are increasingly acting out and forcing them into the north, northwest provinces and keeping an eye on them. They still have their freedom within that province, uh, but if they foment uh, rebellion within their country, within China, or within the province, then the government goes after them and locks them up. And you can say, well, you know, part of Christianity is being tolerant. Yes, it is. Well, are you tolerant, Dr. Bill? To a point, to a point. When it comes to protecting the lives of my family, my friends, my community, my state, my country, I got to step up. I mean, I have to. And you say, well, you're not putting yourself in harm's way. Oh, you think not? You think that talking like this on the radio doesn't put me in harm's way? I had two 
uh, Egyptian Christians, Coptic Christians on the show years ago. And uh, they and I were talking before the show. I'll tell you that story next week. I got to run. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. 